Hi, welcome to the Nonprofit Mastermind Spotlight Series. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage. Every Tuesday on the regular Nonprofit Mastermind podcast, I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching and leading a high impact nonprofit. This spotlight is a special limited weekly series in which I showcase and celebrate the organizations inside my Impact Accelerator program, lifting up their mission, their work, and their personal stories of leadership. This week, I'm sharing a wonderful conversation with Lana Kleinman, the Executive Director of Charleston Legal Access. I have a special place in my heart for this conversation because Lana and I got to bond a bit over the mission of her organization something that has always been very dear to me as a (laughs) recovering lawyer, as people like to say, expanding access to legal advocacy and justice for those who can't afford it. Charleston Legal Access is a nonprofit law firm, and as Lana describes wonderfully in our conversation, their unique and powerful focus is on people who both don't qualify for legal aid or legal services, but who can't afford access to a private attorney. Lana and I talk big picture about what it really means to run an organization that operationalizes access to justice and what that looks like in practice. And we talk more personally about her experience stepping into the executive director role in a new city and navigating COVID. This is a conversation that bridges the personal and the practical, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, Lana, how are you? I am good. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you. I always love talking to a fellow attorney. Um, (laughs) And you guys do such amazing work. Um, Let's dive in. Great. So start with what does your organization do? What are you working on in the world? So Charleston Legal Access, we are South Carolina's first and only sliding scale nonprofit law firm, which means that we provide legal services on a sliding scale based on income and household size. And we serve those who do not qualify for free legal aid, but also cannot afford an attorney at market rates. We try to bridge that gap between legal aid and the private bar. And that's because, you know, if someone's faced with a legal emergency, such as an eviction or um, a custody dispute, and they're low income, they at least have access to legal aid, right? They might get turned away for a, ver- for a variety of reasons, but they have somewhere to turn to. It's an option. Yeah. It's an option. Exactly. Um But, and then of course, for wealthy individuals or high income individuals, you know, they call one of their friends who says, oh yeah, I can refer you to someone great. You know, they have options, lots of options. But then there's this whole group in the middle, people who work, people who have incomes, maybe work two jobs, but they don't have disposable income when they're faced with a legal emergency to go get help. They don't even know where to go. And so CLA was created specifically to bridge that gap. One of the things that I think is really exciting about that is 
it's really easy to look at um, really like service or legal service organizations or you know housing organizations or food service organizations and think that that the communities that you are serving or the problem that you're solving is a monolith right we work with people that have legal problems but what I what I hear you saying, what I think is really, really important and exciting about your mission is that when we think about the problems to solve in the world and even legal advocacy as a strategy, there's a whole spectrum of people that have needs and this idea of who's who's being left out, right? Who's um, being left out of um, government solutions, of private bar solutions, um, I think there's real opportunity there for creative problem solving, which is, you know, um, one of the spaces where the nonprofit sector is really impactful, right? Sort of filling in these gaps. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, we see it in so many different sectors, not just the legal sector. I mean, it's happening in healthcare. You know, we see this huge gap, right? People who are poor can get Medicaid, Medicare. People who are wealthy can, you know, get insurance. And then there's this whole middle. And what do we do? And, you know, I think Obamacare was trying to solve for that. And, you know, we truly believe that there's a huge access to justice problem in general. And we have to be creative. We have to be innovative to solve that problem. And I think Charleston Legal Access is one of those just creative solutions to really serve more individuals, more families who are struggling to get by when faced with a legal emergency. Especially as this middle grows, right? Yes. Grows over time. Absolutely. So creative solutions. Talk to me about um, what you guys actually do to address the needs of the people that you work with. How do you find them? What do you do to help them? Yeah. So in the beginning, when we started, it was a lot of outreach to try to build our brand to convince the community that you know, we are needed. And a lot of it, well, I think we first started with the private bar because the attorneys have, attorneys turn away clients all the time because they can't afford their services. Yes. So they were happy to be able to refer clients to us that they couldn't help. Um, as long as we're not, you know, impeding, competing, (laughs) competing, which we're not. Um, but, uh, the private bar, we really, worked hard to get the support of the private bar, both financially as donors, but also for referrals. And then social service agencies, you know, we did a lot of outreach to make sure they know that we are a resource. They can send clients to us. For those people who don't qualify for the, you know, legal aid, free legal services in the uh, sort of lower tier. Yes. And, you know, a lot of the times we end up doing the the math, you know, we're the ones figuring out whether someone qualifies or not, because we didn't want to put that burden on social service agencies. And so we we act a lot like a referral agency, which interesting. How do, how do you mean? So, you know, we have so many clients that call us and they actually qualify for legal aid. And so we will never take a client if we think they could get free legal services. And so we will automatically refer them. And um, same with private bar. If we think like, you know, this is actually a personal injury case. You don't need a, we don't do that. There are plenty of personal injury attorneys who will take your case on contingency. So we 
act like a referral agency a lot of the time by making sure we're giving meaningful referrals, but making sure people end up in the right place. I think because we're still relatively young compared to some of the other legal service agencies here, we pick up the phone. You know, a lot of systems now are automated and maybe we'll get there one day. No, no, no. I love exactly where you are. (laughs) But at the moment, we're still picking up the phone. We're still the people that someone will call me like, oh, thank God you picked up the phone. And, you know, we'll tell them, be like, look, you know, we, you, you qualify for free legal aid. You should really call them before you, before you pay us to take your case. And Do you guys have any trouble with branding? I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that I, I folks can't hear they, on the podcast, I can't see you, but you're sort of smiling and nodding. Yeah. yeah. Why did you respond that way to my question? <laughs> Because people still think we're legal aid. I mean, even attorneys think we're legal aid. Um, And it's it's interesting because there aren't that many legal service agencies where we are. Charleston actually has the most, but in South Carolina in general, there's the statewide legal aid um, that's, you know, um, supported by LSC. And then there's Charleston has one other pro bono um, legal service agencies that serves low income, provides the services for free. And so a lot of people just assume we're either legal aid or the other legal service agencies. So we do a lot of work in, in our own branding, but also just letting people know that, nope, that's not, we're not legal aid. You should really try them first. <laughs> and I, I wonder also, you know, I think we've talked about, you know, in the accelerator program about thought leadership and sort of how do you shape perceptions of um, challenges and problems that are sort of out in the world. I know when I was practicing, one of the challenges we had was that people's sense of themselves and sort of, you know, what they feel comfortable asking for um, really influenced who we were able to reach and how we were able to provide services for for certain families. You know, I think when I was doing healthcare advocacy with the Children's Defense Fund, it was really hard at first to get parents. Um, I was doing work with the Child Health Insurance Program, SCHIP, when it was first created. And you had, it was designed specifically for that next tier of families that were not Medicaid eligible, but that couldn't afford sort of pri- or didn't have private insurance through their jobs. And for the first year and a half, we couldn't get families to sign up because it felt like Medicaid. And psychologically, there, there was, there's a distinction that we make in our society, which I think is very harmful, that people internalize. Do you see that at all in sort of how people feel accessing your services? We get that sometimes, right, from people who call us and then we're like, actually, you're eligible for free legal services. They're like, no, 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 I, I want you guys. I want yep. you. Because they think if they pay for it, they're going to get better quality yes. uh, yep. services. Yep. We, we as legal aid attorneys, know that's not necessarily. That's true, right. <laughs> you know, um, but it's hard. Uh, but we also get that from our donors and the private bar. You know, a lot of donors actually like the fact that we charge a fee because they're, they think, you know, the clients have skin in the game, right? Oh, interesting. <laughs> As opposed to not having skin in the game when you're about to lose your house. <laughs> I yeah, just want to remind you, I live in this house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. But no, I mean, I think that is absolutely part of um, just the, the, the air we breathe in, in this society. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know, you know, I was a legal aid attorney in New York. I worked for New York Legal Assistance Group. And oh, yeah. sometimes I can, I, I appreciate the fact when someone does, ha- when someone has to pay for the services, yes. because, you know, how many times did I used to have clients who would just take advantage of the fact that they got a free attorney. Um, and so when you're paying for somebody, even if it's- a You're gonna show up to the court appearance. You're gonna show up, you're gonna return calls. You're not gonna spend an hour on a phone call because you know we're charging for that. Um, so, I mean, that that's definitely not why we do what we do, yeah. but there's, I can see why certain people might think, it, it, they like the idea of somebody paying a fee for our service. Yeah, I mean, part of why, you know, I asked and part of why it's interesting to me is as you think about the impact, sort of the expansiveness of your impact and who you're able to reach, not just in terms of the clients you serve, but the supporters, right? And the people that are on board to help you execute your mission, reducing that friction and really getting in there and and allowing people to grapple with what does it mean to provide the kind of legal services that you guys provide in the way that you provide it um, and reducing barriers to people accessing those services. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I really try to focus on is reducing barriers, Um, which is why I I love the idea of an automated service because of course it will free up my manager's time will be so much more efficient, but then we're in some ways also creating more barriers to access. That's right. Um, I see it with legal aid with, with, you know, it's all automated. People call us all the time and say, you know, well, they haven't called me back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. and, and, And I get it. It's just because it's a resource issue. It's a capacity issue, which I completely understand. Um, but I'm, I like, I want to be able to just reduce those barriers, make those meaningful refer referrals. And then I'm a big believer in, you know, providing wraparound holistic services. And so, yeah, say more about that. Cause I was going to say, I know just from working with you, there's, you know, sort of legal services and there's other stuff you guys do. So talk us, talk us through how you guys actually address these needs that you're, that you're seeing. Yeah, so we there's a lot of social service agencies here, and not I don't think any of them really incorporate legal services as part of their um, interesting. You know, and and there aren't we don't have like a family justice center here where it's a one stop shop. You can walk in and get all the services you need in one place, thereby removing extra barriers to get those services. That's right. And so I like to focus on projects where I am partnering with social service agencies in order to remove those barriers. And so, for example, one of our most recent um, partnerships is with an organization called Halos. Halos provides services for kinship care providers. Oh, yeah. So here, DSS, um, Department of Social Services, if they you know, need to come and take a child away for abuse and neglect, they would rather place that child with a relative than foster care. But when they do that, they don't provide the resources and financial support that a foster care parent gets, right? I didn't realize that. 
Yeah, there's no, there's no support. So like, I guess they're like, well, your family, your kid, so you got this, you know? And so like all of a sudden, you know, you're 75 years old, you're living off of retirement benefits and now you have to take care of two kids. And you're like, wait, wait, I don't know what to do. I don't have the financial resources. I don't know how to take them to the doctor to, um, to enroll them in school. And so Halos was created in order to provide those services. And it's an amazing organization. They've held so many kinship care families. I mean, I think we probably have more kids in kinship care than in foster care here in South Carolina. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but one of the issues was that DSS would place them with their relative and then kind of just forget about them. You know, they would, they would just not, they wouldn't file a case against the, the parent and they would just kind of leave it, just be like, oh, okay, you know. You, we so got it became it. a permanent move as opposed to a temporary placement until whatever the original case was worked out. Exactly. And so we started providing uh, legal services to these kinship care providers, um, helping them get custody of the children that they're already taking care of. Yeah. And so it was great because we were able, you know, we listen, I like to listen to our partners, they're the ones boots on the ground. They can identify the gaps. They can identify the problems. And I want to be there to be, try to fill those gaps. And so Halos identified this need and we were just in a position where we were able to work with them and provide that service. I love that partnership model that sort of everybody has their expertise. And as the legal services organization, you're like, you tell us where the gaps are, you tell us where the problems are, and we'll bring our unique skills to bear to solve those problems. Are there other kinds of partners that you guys work with in that way? That's just a great model. Yeah. And so, for example, right now, so um, we share office space with my sister's house. My sister's house is the agency here that provides services for victims of domestic violence. They don't actually they don't have a lawyer on staff. Um, So they refer their clients to legal aid. But that is an extra phone call somebody has to make. That is an extra person they have to talk to. It's it's just one more thing to do for someone who's already in crisis and trauma. Um, And so we're trying to partner with them. We haven't launched this yet, but soon, hopefully in the fall, um, where we're going to create office hours. So they're going to, so, you know, they have, uh, my sister's house has case managers. They're going to do a legal intake, you know, see if there's, they would like to speak with an attorney and then sign up for our office hours where the person, you know, the, the victim survivor can come here and ask their questions. Yes. Because I think so many times as a former family law attorney who worked with victims of domestic violence, it's not always the best thing to send someone straight to court. And I I think that's the problem. So, you know, if somebody goes to the police station, they'll say, oh, go to court. Like this is a civil action, go to, go get an order of protection. But most people don't even understand what that really means. And what the implications are. Absolutely. Exactly. And so I just think it's so important that there there's access, access to an attorney, you know, just to ask those questions, just to be able to understand your rights and the process. It doesn't mean that I'm rushing to court with them or doing a full rep. It's all about access and information. So you mentioned having been a family court attorney and working in New York. 
Tell me a bit about your own journey. How did you come to be running this organization in in Charleston? (laughs) Craziness. (laughs) Um, So I am born and bred New Yorker. I am first generation American. My parents are Russian immigrants. And I went to Brooklyn Law. And from Brooklyn Law, I actually went to DLA Piper. That was my first. Oh, wow. Okay. Except I graduated law school when there was uh, during the recession. And so I remember that time. Yes. That was a fascinating time to be a law grad. I was teaching law students at the time and there was people were, (laughs) what am I going to do? I think I was actually very lucky because they offered, DLA Piper offered us to take a year off, not off, but to go do public interest work. And I was in no rush to go do corporate law. And I decided, yeah, I want to, I want to go do public interest work. And I got a intern, uh, I got a job at New York Legal Assistance Group. And I was fantastic. I know. And I was working with, uh, in the immigration unit. And I was working actually with uh, Russian immigrants, which was great because I was able to use my uh, language skills. And I loved it. I mean, I was I was in immigration court. I was um, working directly with clients. I could see how I was helping people. Um, I had my own caseload, um, so much autonomy. It, it was just great. And then I went back to the firm and I love DLA Piper. They let me do so much pro bono work. But after two years, I realized, why am I doing this? I want to do public interest work. And um, we weren't, I was married at the time and I was in a place where I was able to go back to NILAG. And then I spent the rest of my career there until I moved to Charleston. And the reason I ended up here was because um, we needed a break. We needed to get out of New York. And my husband decided to randomly pick Charleston. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, I mean, it's a beautiful city. It's it really is. beautiful. He's from Florida. I'm from New York. And I said no to Florida. Meet in the middle. <laughs> That's exactly what we did. And, you know, I came here in January, right? When uh, New York was below zero. Not, I was not when you want to be in New York. <laughs> I was like walking around in a t-shirt. I was eating good food. The beach is 10 minutes away. I was like, okay, I can do this. Um, it would have been a very different story if we came to visit in August. But <laughs> So we just kind of picked up and moved. I didn't have a job. And when I first moved here, I was really hoping to actually do advocacy work. Uh, I was tired of the courtroom. I was just tired of practicing and um, it's really emotionally, um, it's a lot to hold emotionally yeah. doing the kind of work that you were doing. Yes, I was, I was definitely experiencing a lot of vicarious trauma. Like I felt my shoulders just like go down my back, you know, finally, um, once I moved here and it took me a while just to like get over that, like decompress. And then it was very hard to find a job. And I was networking. I am like the best networker you'll ever meet. And I ended up with, I ended up meeting the executive director of Charleston Legal Access at the time. And a couple, like six months after I met her, I get a call basically saying, hey, I'm leaving this role. You should apply. 
And so I applied and I got the job. And here you are. <laughs> and I had to take the bar and it was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd already been through it. So, you know. <laughs> but uh, and that's how I ended up in this role. And it's been, I, and I think the reason why I was so intrigued and desperate actually for this accelerator program is because I started this job and there was, there wasn't exactly a transition or an onboarding period. And I was kind of thrown to the fire and um, I, I literally was making it up as I went along and kind of still am, but I have a little bit more guidance now because of you, <laughs> but uh, and then COVID hit. I mean, so I was just going to say, I mean, with COVID, do you feel like there is, I don't know, a synergy between your skills and interest in what you learned as an advocate and as a lawyer with what you find yourself being called to do and how you're being called to lead as an executive director? Do you see a relationship between those two, especially having to navigate the last, you know, the last period of time? That's an interesting question. I think I was just better suited for this type of role, actually, than almost like a lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. if, if I was an executive director of a different type of legal service, uh, of a different like nonprofit that was not legal related, I don't know, you know, but because yes. I, I have the legal background, I have worked as a legal aid attorney, I have worked with the population that we're sorry. I have experienced the need, the, the, the reason for what we're doing. You know, I've seen it before. Um, I know how to communicate with clients. I know how to manage lawyers. Yes. I think that's why I'm suited for this role. Um, I don't know if I would be just as good if it was a different type of nonprofit, but I think because it's a legal service agency, um, it speaks my language, but also my passion, right? Like this is what I, I, this is not only what I understand and have experience in, but also like my, this is what my passion is. Like I, I so truly believe that everyone should have access to an attorney. Our legal system is complicated. And the idea that people who might not be educated, don't have law degrees, have to go in and try to like resolve a legal issue on their own just does not make any sense, especially when we require lawyers to get degrees, spend three years of their lives and a lot of money getting trained just so we have the privilege of being able to walk into a courtroom. You know, the system is not just, it's not equitable. And it really, the outcomes are so dependent on how much money you have, because if you have money, you can afford an attorney and then you can afford a different type of outcome. And, you know, you, I don't need a, there's plenty of statistics that show that. And so I, I think it would be a very, I would be a very different ED if it wasn't for the role of the, if it wasn't for the organization that I'm the EV of. Well, I mean, I think it's not an accident that you are where you are. Right. I mean, one of the things that is so much fun for me about working with executive directors is this intersection of passion, sort of what is my purpose in this life and on, you know, in this world and skill. Those 
relate to one another, right? They fuel one another. You are good at the resource development, the partnership, the seeing opportunities to work with a Halo organization, you know, or my sister's house, because you do have deep insight, you have the skill and the knowledge, and you care. There's an affinity that you have. So yeah, you'd be a different executive director for a different organization, but you wouldn't be an executive director of a different organization, right? right. <laughs> you know, you found the right place. So that's, uh, the universe works in in wonderful ways, I always like to say. Um, it does, it does. I'm, I, I never imagined myself here, but I find the work that I'm doing here so incredibly meaningful. So how can other folks get involved in the work that you guys are doing? I know you have really interesting types of partnerships and you know, advocacy is a, a vast and broad thing, but it can be hard for folks who care about the mission to find a way in, right? You can't just like volunteer <laughs> if you're not a lawyer, you know? So what are some ways in to this work for other folks? I think, you know, we, so legal service fees only covers 15% of our revenue, right? The fees that we collect from clients. And that's because we need to keep our fees low in that's order right. for people to be able to afford them. Access. <laughs> Access. And the only way we can do that is because we rely on the philanthropic support of our legal community, our, you know, very generous donors, um, people who do believe in what we're doing. Um, so one of the best ways to get involved is really just to continue supporting us financially, um, which I know that's true for every nonprofit, um, but that is the way we are able to keep our fees low. Um, we don't get government funding. We're not like federally funded, like legal aid. So we really have to rely on individual donors and funders. And we're also in South Carolina, which doesn't have um, the same pool as in New York or in bigger cities and also doesn't have the same culture, right? Like in New York City, it was almost a given that any of these big firms would donate X amount of money or they would donate pro bono hours. And it's that is not true there. No. Fascinating. Yeah, that has always been my experience, but I've always practiced and, and done my work here in New York. It's very challenging. Um, and even the amount that certain firms give us is, if I told you, you'd be very surprised given how much some of these bigger <laughs> firms in New York yeah. just automatically donate because they understand it's like they're kind of, it, they understand it's part of the profession, right? That being a lawyer is not just a job, it's a profession and you almost have a responsibility. An avocation. Yeah. Yes. And you have a responsibility to either give back financially or give back with your time and skills because it is a very unique skill set. Um, and so it's just a little bit different here. It's not the same culture. And, you know, it, it, it's it's work. You know, I mean, again, any nonprofit, it takes work to fundraise, but um, getting making people understand that legal services is not just for the privileged um, or for the poor or just for the poor. It's really should be accessible to all. And that like food, like shelter, like education, it can become a basic need, right? When you're faced with losing your home, legal services very much becomes a basic need where, you know, you need 
a, non, a nonprofit or another organization to help you in that situation. Um, and so for people to get involved, it's one actually about just spreading the word about what we do, getting more people interested and in learning about what we do. Because again, legal services isn't as easy of a sell as, you know, giving. I always like to say it's not as sexy as like saving baby seals. Exactly. <laughs> right. Like you for should get what they give here for saving baby turtles, but you know, exactly. Legal services, forget it. Yeah. Um, and you know, of course, lawyers don't have the best reputations, but, and most people don't generally like, they take it for granted, right? That if you're ever faced with a legal um, issue, you're just going to go get a lawyer, yeah. you know? Yeah. Or you think I'm never going to be in that. So like, you know, when am I going to need a lawyer? And if I need one, I'll find one. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So it's a hard sell. So I think the more we can educate, the more we can spread the word about what we do, the importance of what we do and how it is illegal, how it is a basic need. Um, will really, I think, hopefully will motivate people to give and get involved. Um, we, I think a great way to get involved and volunteer is providing um, intellectual capital. We, we are generalists. We take on a whole variety of cases, you know, everything from family, housing, probate, um, the one-off random cases that come through the door because nobody else could help that person. Like we'll take it on. And so yeah. we rely actually on the legal community here to pick up the phone when we have a question, you know, to pick up the phone and send us a sample or go by because this is the first time we're doing something. We are constantly becoming confident in new areas of law, new issues, I should say, not areas of law. And so we do rely on the people in our community to be able to just pick up the phone and answer our questions, which is great because um, otherwise, <laughs> you know, we couldn't do the things we do. I think that's one of the things that I actually really loved about practicing law that I think a lot of people um, that I have worked with that are not attorneys were surprised by is just the extent to which I relied on other lawyers that had issue-based expertise in other areas and vice versa, right? That, that, you know, you build this sort of network of information sharers and and sort of thought partners um, and that I found the practice of law to be far more collaborative mm -hmm. um, in terms of like you said information sharing than I expected it to be um, so that's a wonderful way and I think there are probably a lot of attorneys a lot of content or issue experts um, that could be really helpful um, as thought partners to your organization yes um, and so and, and that's actually one of one of the things I've been thinking about is creating almost uh, an advisory council, you know, and you know, I'm a huge fan of advisory councils. <laughs> and so I was thinking of creating a an, an issue expert advisory council, you know, a group of individuals who can really who will um, help us, but also like advertise the fact that they're doing that, right? They are going to raise their hand and say, yes, I'm going to be that person that you call with a family law issue. I love that. That is amazing. So for folks that want to learn more, want to get involved, want to give and support, um, where do they go? 
to learn more and to to raise their hand and say, I'm that person. Love it. Um, they should go to our website at charlestonlegalaccess.org. Fantastic. It is always wonderful talking to you. I always love hearing about what you guys are doing. It's just so, so foundational. You know, this idea of access to justice and access to legal services is near and dear to my heart. But I think, you know, as our world changes, right, as people navigate health issues and housing issues and education issues and all of the various things that impact us and this this middle group that you mentioned, as it grows, what you guys are doing just becomes even more crucial as sort of interstitial tissue um, to our society. So thank you for your work. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. I mean, I I am so grateful for you and and the Accelerator program, and I've learned so much. So thank you very, very much. Amazing. And I will talk to you soon. Hey. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think what we talk about here, the trainings and the guests and the conversations could benefit another leader in your life, I'd love if you would leave a review and share with your friends. If you want to take the next step and begin to put into practice what we talk about on this podcast, I've created a toolkit where I collect and share downloads from many of our conversations. It's got templates, worksheets, and references to help you execute on what we talk about here on The Mastermind. There's lots of great stuff, and I add to it almost every week. You can download it at richiebabbage.com backslash architecture of impact toolkit. I also want to share another free resource for leaders of growing nonprofits. It's a free training that's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There, the four questions you need to ask to know if your nonprofit is really ready to scale. Growing an organization doesn't happen by accident, as we all know. You have to take the right strategic steps at the right time to avoid overwhelm and burnout and that horrible feeling that so many of us have had as you watch the work of your organization outstrip capacity and sometimes even funding. It's almost impossible to reverse engineer good growth. And by that, I mean growth that can be sustained over time just by looking at what you think you see in other organizations. So in this free training, I help cut through all the noise and I identify the four simple questions that if you really engage with them and think about them, will tell you when you're ready to grow without frenzy, without overwhelm, and with the confidence that you're making the right moves for your organization. You can access the training at richiebabbage.com backslash ready to scale. If you'd like more leadership resources and strategies in your life, sign up for my weekly newsletter Leadership Forward 321. Each week, I curate and share three articles, two resources, and a quote on a theme. You can get that at richiebabbage.com backslash leadership forward 321. That's all for now. Have a great week, and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.